Welcome to the Bishop Strickland Hour. My name is Terry Barber, and I have the honor of interviewing Bishop Strickland each week to talk about how people can fall deep in love with Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Bishop Strickland, I want to say welcome again to another week. How are you, my friend? Good, Terry. How are you? I'm too blessed to be stressed and too anointed to be disappointed. And Bishop Strickland, if hope was money, I'd be donating to your new uh, massive Catholic center plan for East Texas. That's what I'm going to start it off with because you have an article from the Register, Bishop Strickland, that uh, talks about the Veritatis Splendor, uh, which in Latin is the Splendor of the Truth Center. And it's over 600 acres of land. It's not part of the diocese, I understand that, but it's in your diocese. And I wanted to ask you, tell us about what's going on here. I mean, I, I see it in the register, but can you give us an overview of what's going to be taking place in your diocese? Yes, uh, Terry, I'm glad to. It's been a few months of meeting with some very committed, joyful Catholic families mm -hmm. that are looking to develop this. It really is not a, an officially Catholic entity, mm -hmm. but it is Catholic families, and they certainly welcome any who believe in Jesus Christ and would want to participate in something like this. It, um, I have to say the, the word massive in the title of that article is, is a little um, surprising maybe for us here in East Texas. Yeah. Massive and Catholic don't often fit together in the same title, but uh, maybe that's going to change. Um, there are a lot of faithful Catholics here that love the church very much, love Jesus Christ and the Blessed Virgin Mary and, and all that the church is, the family of God. Mm -hmm. That is the reason as a bishop, even though it's not officially Catholic, it's not part of the Diocese of Tyler, there's no funding of this. We don't have the funds, and they realize that. They are working on um, developing funds and having fundraisers, but that is something independent of the diocese and really independent of even a, a Catholic entity. It's just a group of committed Catholic families that are, are spearheading this. And Really, I see it as a response to the challenges that families are facing to look to the beautiful message of Jesus Christ and the fullness of truth. Absolutely, um, as you know, I am deeply committed to guarding the deposit of faith. Amen. And that's what these families are wanting is the full, rich deposit of faith in Jesus Christ, the good news that he has shared with us. What the church teaches, what they, as I've said very often on this program and, and in other interviews, I simply read the catechism out loud. We literally do that as part of Good. this hour. Yep. And these families are going to be living the catechism out loud. Wow. Um, that's what it's about. I support them spiritually and pray for them that really I think it's a good model that I would encourage other places to, to develop simply Catholic families coming together. There are probably some, some clarifications of it not being an officially Catholic entity, just so that it can 
clearly welcome anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Certainly, I believe that the church is the fullness of the message of Jesus Christ, word and sacrament. We're a both-and community as Catholics, and absolutely, it's, it's not in any way having less than a full appreciation of Catholicism, but acknowledging that, especially in our area and really around the world, around the country, there are many believing Christians that line up with what the Catechism teaches more than maybe their denomination does or the group that they're with, whether it's non-denominational or one of the what we call the mainline Protestant churches. There are many individual Christians who say, I believe in the sanctity of life. I believe in the sanctity of marriage. I believe that God created us male and female. Pretty basic stuff. Uh, I mean, just in today's reading, the prophet Isaiah was speaking to the leaders of, of Sodom and Gomorrah and telling them, you better get your act together. We know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I thought it was a great reading in Isaiah for just the daily mass, the Lenten mass today, where the prophet speaks of certainly the, the, the sexual sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, but also mentions that they were mistreating widows and mistreating orphans and forgetting some of the basic call of, for them, the, the, the first covenant people, the Jewish people, of living according to God's commandments. So that's what we're called to. Mm -hmm. Really, I would describe Veritatis um, Splendor, the splendor of truth is what that translates to, as you said. Mm -hmm. It's like a seedbed of, for families. If you imagine, I mean, you've, you have had children, you've had to nurture them. Yep. Seeing your children in the family as seedlings of new humanity, of the next generation, and to nurture and form and strengthen those seedlings to be strong, well-rooted Catholics for the future. Uh, that's what Veritatis Splendor is about. Some people have already said, oh, is it is it one of these bunker communities and hiding from culture and wanting to, to bury underground? Absolutely not. But it's just like, I love that image of the seedbed or, you know, the seedling plants. Mm -hmm. They're tender. They're weak. They need to be nurtured in a somewhat of a hothouse environment, but for the sake of of going out, not, you don't have seeds in a, seedlings in a hothouse are developed in that protected environment to be put out into the world as beautiful trees or beautiful shrubs or beautiful flowering plants, whatever those seedlings are meant to become. So it, it's interesting as I've reflected on it, Terry, we know seminaries, for the formation of priests. They didn't always exist. Nope. Jesus Christ didn't establish seminaries. For many centuries, priests were formed in different ways, especially, and I'm no great historian, but I, I think it's accurate that after the Council of Trent You're spot on. is yep. when seminaries really yep. began to flourish because the Council of Trent said, we need this structured way of forming priests yep. 
to make sure that they know the catechism, they know the deposit of faith, that they're well-formed in the teachings of the Catholic Church, that don't change. Yep. That's the advantage we have <laughs> of teaching the next generation. We can teach them, and they can teach the next and the next. The truth doesn't change. No matter who may say it changes now, and many people say that, oh, the truth is changing. It doesn't change. Um, it's the same truth as it was when Jesus Christ, the incarnate truth, was sharing it with the original apostles. So really, Terry, and none of us knows exactly what, what the future holds, but I believe that something like Veritatis Splendor may be a new model for the church to flourish in the 21st century and beyond. Monasteries didn't always exist. Right. St. Benedict developed the Benedictine rule that many religious communities adapted, but that basic idea of the monastery was a strong focus of the church for many centuries. We have lived through a time really since um, kind of the decline of monasteries. The parochial model has been what where the church has been for years, but that seems to be less effective, less a lot of families because of sprawling cities and the way people live. They, they don't feel the, the support that they need beyond absolutely going to mass on Sunday. That's sort of become the focus of the parish. And certainly there are parishes where they, they still are the focal point of that Catholic community. But I think that we need new models and possibly these lay families, these Catholic families are developed. I think they're onto something. Yeah. I may be wrong. It may not be what we need to look for, but I like to think of it as, as kind of a seminary for families, a, a, a seedbed where families can nurture their children for really the opposite of hiding them away, but really strengthening them in the truth and just like Jesus sent out the apostles to send out their children in an apostolic wave of truth and joy and good news in Jesus Christ. And in talking to these families, that's exactly what they hope for, is to, like we used to say, Terry, in my years, I was in the seminary for eight years, so, oops, Go ahead. I'm, I'm following you. I disappeared on my side. <laughs> I, I, see, I see you, but eight years in the seminary, yep. They, we used to say, you're not meant to stay in the seminary. Yeah. You're meant to leave the seminary. Exactly. And I like that same idea for what Veritatis Splendor is developing. The children of these families are not meant to just stay there. Yeah. They're meant to be strengthened there and to go out into the world into the darkest corners of the world Amen. and bring the light of Christ. Well said. So I, I like that image. I do too. And I like the comment that says, overall, Veritatis Splendor is the idea to protect, preserve, and proclaim the truth of the faith. When we come back, we'll have more with the Bishop Strickland Hour. Welcome back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. Bishop Strickland just gave us a great ex explanation of this beautiful 
uh, Catholic Center Plan for East Texas, Veritatis Splendor. I want to also recommend, I believe it was the late 80s. I want to say 1988 or 93. I can't remember what year it was. But that particular document that St. John Paul II wrote, I was ecstatic because it went back to a more atomistic approach when we dealt with morality of St. Thomas. And it was a it was a breath of fresh air. And thank God for our Holy Father for putting that document out. Now, Bishop Strickland, I'm going to go back to your tweets now that you do every week. And man, you're tweeting a lot. And, you know, this is a good tweet that I saw on the 24th. It said, we are all worried about the wrong ism. Racism is immoral and should be shunned. Yes, right? But the root of our problem is atheism. And then you said, let us repent of our sins and humbly return to God. If we do this, racism and every other ill that plagues our society will fall into dust. We must address this root. Bishop Strickland, the Second Vatican Council said that atheism was one of the biggest problems for the church to face, and the in, in, that was in the 1960s. So I think you're on to that. Uh, when you talk about uh, racism, are you, we're talking about how it seems like everybody's dealing with, um, like I'll say, the Black Lives Matter group. Now, all lives matter, but they, they seem to make it so that if just because you're not a, their race that you must be a racist. And it seems like that's getting all over the country right now. So it, is that why you wanted to talk about what, what ism is really the most important problem in our culture, which is atheism? Is that, is that why you did that? Absolutely, because the, the rationale that I was basing it on, and it came from a, a conversation I had with a, a group of men mm-hmm. that day that we were just talking about the, the realities of certainly racism is, is uh, mm-hmm. sinful, it, Absolutely. It's forgetting because of whatever race, and it can it can apply to a ra- any race of people, but because of the color of their skin or because of the language they speak or because of whatever accident of their humanity, that they're somehow treated less than the, a child of God should be treated. But even as I use that language, and that's why I wanted to point out that if we don't believe in God, we really don't believe in our own value because we are created in the image and likeness of God. And believe me, Terry, as you can imagine, probably that tweet, I I usually don't look at a lot of the responses, but with a tweet like that, I did look at some, I confess, (laughs) and Man, people get angry, and the vitriol when it comes down to a, a an issue like that, talking about um, atheism, the 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 ugly language and the anger that you can receive through a tweet is just really astonishing. Yeah. That people feel that vehemently uh, opposed to the idea of religion, and you know the old fake news. Um, fake news is really not something new. It just maybe continues to increase. But the fake news that more Christianity has killed more people in history than any other, you know, it's, it's just ridiculous. It's not the data. It's just 
something that people say and they get away with it because we don't have the data or we, we don't respond with the data the way we should. The atrocities perpetrated by people in the name of no God have been powerful in the Old Testament times, in pre-Old Testament times, in New Testament times, and in the times of the church, the 2,000 years that the, the church has existed. There have been many people slaughtered in the name of atheism. So, um, but it really comes down to, honestly, Terry, if we really believe in the what atheists claim to believe, there mm -hmm. is no God. Right. We all just oozed out of somewhere or <laughs> popped into existence. Yeah. Then where what sort of ethic can you base that on? It always mystifies me yeah. that if if there truly is no value to this life beyond this world, and we're all going to just crumble to dust one day, and that's it, then what rationale do you use for any kind of behavior except I'm going to get everything I can, and I'm going to destroy anybody I need to? Yep. Sadly, some people operate that way, right. and we can't. How can you really, what basis do you have for Questioning that, if there is no God and we are not created in the image and likeness of God, then we have a right to get as much power as we can and use that power however we decide to. Ethics becomes really meaningless because, I mean, you can have all these, these philosophies and say, oh, you should live in harmony, but why? How can you argue that? So... I think it really is, and it it's very rampant. Yeah, I, I've I've said before, I don't believe a lot of the young people that really celebrate their atheism are truly atheist. Right. And sadly, we could talk a lot about the occult and the Satanists and the people that are really embracing yep. evil as as their god and Satan as their god. Um, that is, is prevalent as well, maybe growing more prevalent than even classical atheism, people embracing evil because people, it's everything from just thinking it's sort of fun things to play with, which they're playing with fire when they start dealing in the occult and, and playing around with Satanism. But you see way too much of it in the media. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess I could go on and on about yeah. the ills of atheism, oh, yeah. but that's why I tweeted that, because I truly, truly believe it is at the root. If we don't believe we're created in the image and likeness of God, right. then the value of the human person begins to diminish. Sadly, we see that with disposable unborn people. Exactly. And it, it opens the door for anybody being disposable when we decide, oh, that person's disposable for whatever reason we've decided. If we have the power to dispose of them, then they're vulnerable. And too many people are in the world today.
Well, might makes right, and that this, that's wrong. And and thank you for you know doing that because the the thinking with the church, the church realizes that atheism is really a big threat to Christianity because if there is no God, as you said, there's no boundaries. We can kill unborn. We can kill the longborn, the elderly. And, uh, you know, people are just like animals. There's no difference. I've heard people say that. I've even seen a sign on the freeway in Los Angeles that says, dogs are people too. I mean, really? Are you that <laughs> mixed up, buddy? But that's what our culture is doing. Now, I, I want to tell you, just a couple hours ago when the, we, we were all on live radio with the Terry and Jesse show, one of the women who listens to us was pretty upset, just like you said in those tweets. And my screener said that she was civil. I said, is she not going to use bad language or she's going to scream at me? I don't want her. But if we can have a dialogue, put her on. So she came on the air and she says, you know, I'm, you're not going to like what I'm going to tell you. And I said, well, that's okay. I'm not here to be liked. Let's talk about what's on your mind. She says, well, I got three issues that I'm upset with you about. I said, well, let's talk about it. She's number one, abortion. Why are you constantly talking about abortion? Just realize God's merciful and forget it. I said, so, okay, so that was number one. Then she went, number two, you and Jesse Romero, you guys, I've been watching you, and I looked you up, and you guys are for... For violence, you 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 promote that you both have firearms in your home, and that you would shoot somebody if they came into your home to harm your family and kids. So I said, yeah, I confess, yeah, yeah, and I quoted the Catechism to show that self-defense. That yeah, my job description is to protect my bride and my children. So okay, she said, number three, you make it sound like every Catholic has to pray the Rosary. That's crazy talk. I said, okay, well, let's talk about that, too. So she was, I said, so I brought up St. John Paul II and Our Lady of Fatima, and that, you know, this is not my idea. Uh, Daisy was her name. Daisy, I'm not, I said, this is not my personal opinion. Matter of fact, Daisy, I could care less about Jesse Romero or Terry Barber's opinion. I want to know what the church teaches. And I think that that's what you need to look at. Now, don't look at us as our personal opinions. We're going to give you what Holy Mother the Church teaches and give you resources, like at the end of every show, we talk about the five stones of King David, the rosary, confession, prayer, penance, you know, uh, adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. These are the core things that as Catholics we should be doing. But it's not because Terry or Jesse's opinion, this is what Holy Mother the Church teaches. And so the beautiful thing is that she said, well, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. I said, oh, I'm, I'm, I hope you do because... I wanted to ask you if you would pray for me because I want to pray for you. And then it was silence. And then she ended up saying, okay, I'll pray for you. And I said, thank you, Daisy. But you see, Bishop Strickland, those people who are upset at us, I love them with the truth, and I don't get angry because they're, you know, they're picking at me or picking on me. And she says, you you scare me. I said, when you see me, Daisy, I'm only five foot five. I'm a little guy. I promise I won't scare you. But, you know, you try a little fun and joke. But the point is, there's a lot of low-information Catholics, Bishop Strickland, that don't know their faith, and they're more intimate and more in tune with a, a, pol- a political party rather than the Catholic faith. And so I just pray for people like that because this is why your show, the Bishop Strickland Hour, is so important because you just teach right from this book, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. If they don't like what you're teaching, it's not with you. They've got an issue with what Christ and his church teaches. 
So anyhow, I just wanted to say thank you for your willingness because you're a bishop. I'm a layman. I'm, I get, I'm happy when, when people get mad at me because you know what I think? I think I got their attention. And maybe, yeah. maybe through God's grace that they'll think, well, maybe these guys have something. But the, well, remember, no. remember, Terry, though, yep. I, I mean, tell me, I'm a dangerous bishop. <laughs> That's right. I keep forgetting that you are. And, and you know what? That's why we work with you, <laughs> because you know what, Bishop Strickland, you're not afraid to speak the truth in charity and with clarity. And that's, I wish I could say that right now that we had all of our bishops on the same page. But you know what, Bishop Strickland, sad to say, that's not the case. But you know what? We pray for all of our bishops here at Virgin Most Powerful every Thursday, all the priests, the Holy Father, because they got a tough job. You do have a tough job. I acknowledge that. But you know what? Lay people just want not your opinion. They want Holy Mother's, the church's teaching, the perennial teachings of the church. And when we come back, we're going to open up those perennial teachings of the church with the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We'll be right back after this quick break. Welcome back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. My name is Terry Barber. I'm with the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And I'm with Bishop Strickland to talk about the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I have the second edition in my hands. And, you know, this sounds like a laborious process going through a book that's rather thick. But, you know, I've had friends in jail <laughs> that spent time in prison reading this catechism. And Bishop Strickland, believe it or not, they are... I've got friends that are in the seminary based from based on the catechism of the Catholic Church because it gave them the truth of life. And so this is such a beautiful document. I'd like to go through each paragraph to talk about it. Now, uh, we're on paragraph 85 for those who have a catechism. And this one says it's about the magisterium of the church. You heard that term magisterium. What the heck is that? Well, we're going to talk about it. The task of giving an authentic interpretation of the word of God whether in its written form or in the form of tradition, has been entrusted to the living teaching office of the church alone. Its authority in this matter is exercised in the name of Jesus Christ. Wow. This means that the task of interpretation has been entrusted to the bishops in communion with the successor of Peter, the Bishop of Rome. Now, Bishop Strickland, before I ask you to comment on that, I think many of us have read in the Acts of the Apostles about the eunuch. It's in one of the readings for the Daily Mass readings where he asks them, hey, I, I, how can I understand this unless somebody, reading the Word of God, unless somebody interprets it for me? And this probably is such a key issue, Bishop Strickland, because if you think about it, we've got about 40,000 Protestant denominations and most of the denominations started when people are arguing about the Bible and what it really means. And so it seems to me that this paragraph really gives me solace because I don't have to think, oh, I have to do it myself. Um, what, what are your thoughts about a paragraph that said that in you know, a paragraph 85? What are your thoughts on that? Well, Terry, it's interesting because you allude to chapter 8 of Acts yep. where— St. Philip, That's right. the deacon, talks to the Ethiopian eunuch yep. 
who is reading the scroll of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. He says, how can I know what it means? Nobody here to tell me. So St. Philip the deacon tells him. That's why we named the institute here in the Diocese of Tyler, the St. Philip Institute. Oh, there you go. Inspired by that deacon of the church, a brand new deacon um, sharing the truth of Isaiah that so often alludes to the Messiah, hmm. whom we know is Jesus Christ. So the and the rest of that story, of course, <laughs> is he climbs into the chariot and, and teaches the Ethiopian and he's ultimately baptized. Right. And uh, so that's what the church is supposed to do. Yep. And that's what exactly what this is talking about with the magisterium of the church entrusted to the bishops and to the Bishop of Rome in union with the successor of Peter. It's this deposit of faith that the catechism contains. And one of the key elements of this is that sentence, its authority in this matter is exercised in the name of Jesus Christ. Like we've talked about before, Jesus Christ says, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He is authority incarnate. He is truth incarnate. He is God's divine son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All that is flows from their love and all that is true flows from their truth. So that this is a key text that as the um, the catechism, it's paragraph 85 of the catechism, but it brings together some critical elements as you alluded to, there are really almost countless, I guess you have an exact number, but it's probably changing all the time mm-hmm. as new, Groups are developing and some are falling by the wayside. Sure. Sometimes groups of the the Christian communities that come together that are not part of, not in union with the Roman Catholic Church, they are often based on personalities. And we've always been very cautious about that in the Catholic Church. The personality for us is Jesus Christ. Amen. And yes, he had a real personality as the God-man, fully God, fully man. But he had always, with his human personality, is a divine personality. And the great mystery of um, the hypostatic union, to use fancy theological terminology. But that just means... He's always fully God and fully man. Amen. We can't understand that fully. How can God die on a cross? Well, in his humanity, his body died, his heart stopped, his blood flowed out, blood and water flowed from his side. He stopped breathing. His body was truly dead and still in the mystery of him as God's divine son, the second person of the Trinity. Obviously, he was fully, he was still alive as God's divine son, but truly died. I mean, we don't understand that. 
How can he die and still be the eternal son of God living? We see a glimpse of how that happens with the resurrection of his body. And certainly in the, the early days of the church, there were some that said, well, he didn't really die, did he? He just reanimated. He really wasn't dead. But it's our faith that he died and rose. And that part of that is captured in this um, paragraph 85, that the authority of the church is based on Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and rose, ascended to the Father, and is eternally with his church as he promised. <clears throat> so, and that's one way, another way of saying what we always say, Terry, mm -hmm. as you just said earlier, it's not my authority. No. It's not yours. Nope. It's not my opinion. It's not yours. It's the authority of Jesus Christ that the catechism captures. And as a bishop, every ordained bishop is promises to guard the deposit of faith. Yeah. That deposit of faith comes from Jesus Christ. And certainly, um, Old and New Testament, all of sacred scripture is the, as Jesus is the incarnate word of God, all of sacred scripture is him. From the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, all the way through, authentic word of God is Jesus Christ. He's the incarnate presence of that authentic word of God. So it's a, it's a mystery beyond our understanding, but we need to remember, like the, the woman that you were talking to yeah. that you mentioned in the other segment sure. had questions about what the church teaches, and many people do, through even in person <laughs> with Jesus Christ. There were people protesting Jesus even as he was beginning his ministry, even as he was talking, um, even as he was teaching. It'd be interesting. I've never done it, but it would be interesting to go through the Gospels and mark all the times that it says they were trying to kill him. They wanted to throw him off a cliff. <laughs> they wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to, to banish him because they didn't like the truth that he was sharing. But what all of us need to remember, when we reject what we believe, when we reject the truth that's captured in this catechism, the deposit of faith of Christ's bride, the church, we're rejecting Christ. Yep. We're saying, I don't like that part of what he said. And we all need to examine our conscience and recognize that, again, it's nothing new. When he said, you must eat my body and drink my blood or you will have no life in you, the Gospels tell us many people walked away. But Jesus didn't say, oh, I didn't really mean it, <laughs> because he had to mean it. As truth incarnate, yeah. He's not going to and really can't change the truth because it's his. He can't, as he says in another place in the gospel, you may deny me, but I cannot deny myself. So if you deny me, I have to deny you. Yep. He can't deny himself. 
because truth is woven into existence. And that's beautifully what the catechism tells us in so many facets of the teaching, the deposit of faith that is that is truly tremendous. If we just open our hearts to it and listen to what the church teaches, it's a beautiful expression of good news. It brings us joy. Even this paragraph, yeah. paragraph 85, if we just surrender all the doubts and all the questions and all the opinions that we may have and just say, I am going to do my best to live the truth of Christ as transmitted through his church in this deposit of faith. It's very freeing, very uplifting. It's very challenging, absolutely. But that challenge becomes a joyful challenge when we recognize we're listening to God. We're listening to how God made creation. And it goes back to our discussion of atheism earlier. If you deny God, you're really denying the truth of the fabric of who we are. And it begins to erode that fabric in devastating ways. Wow. When we come back, it's a great paragraph that follows what Bishop Strickland just said. Paragraph 86. I'm going to tease you. Does Bishop Strickland have the authority as a magisterium, as the Pope, and change eternal truths of the faith? When we come back, we'll let the catechism speak for itself. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. I'm Noah Bishop Strickland Hour. Sorry. We'll be right back. God bless you. Welcome back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. I gave a big tease and I was not trying to pick on Bishop Strickland or the Pope. I was just making a point. Can Bishop Strickland or the Holy Father change the perennial teachings of the church? Well, it's, the answer is no, but this paragraph will tell us because Bishop Strickland's job and the Pope's job is to confer, conf, confirm us in the perennial teachings of the faith. Check this out, paragraph 86. Yet this magisterium is not superior to the word of God, but it is its servant. It teaches only what has been handed on to it. At the divine command and with the help of the Holy Spirit, it listens to this devoutly, guards it with dedication, and expounds it faithfully. All that it proposes for belief as being divinely revealed is drawn from this single deposit of faith. How reassuring is that paragraph, Bishop Strickland? Ooh. Very important. Very important. So. Yeah. And I love the, the way it's worded. Mm -hmm. Yet this magisterium is not superior to the word of God, right. but is its servant. Oh, that's beautiful. And we all know, if you know anything about Jesus Christ, he's constantly the humble yep. servant. Amen. The suffering servant. He tells his apostles, be servants. He emphasizes that as he washes their feet before he establishes the, the Eucharist, his body and blood presence in the form of consecrated bread and wine. He's constantly calling them to be servants, to be humble. And so I love the way the catechism, just again quoting, it, it actually, that is a quote from uh, De Verbum, yep. one of the documents of the Second Vatican Council. Right. 
that it says so clearly, this magisterium is not superior to the word of God, but is its servants. It teaches only what has been handed on to it. It goes back to what we were saying earlier, that the truth doesn't change. Right. And that deposit of faith yes. doesn't change. In a beautiful way to look at this, Terry, yep. besides just looking, okay, well, that's what the church says and everything. <laughs> the truth doesn't change because Jesus is a real person who, who doesn't change, who is the incarnate truth, the incarnate Son of God. He has come to us to show us the way. As we know, the early church was called the way. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. So that aspect of, of truth not changing and being a living teaching, it's a reminder to us that we're, it's all about a living person. It's about, all about a living God. Um, Jesus Christ is described, the son of the living God. Truth is alive. Truth is not some dead, lifeless deposit, but it really is the living expression of God for our generation and the next generation and the next. So once again, the, the catechism in this time, number 86, fully quoting a document of the Second Vatican Council, uh, Dei Verbum, the Word of God, but it it really says in just a few sentences something that is so critical for us to understand. As a bishop, I can't change what the church teaches. Right. <laughs> I can't just delete some of it because, well, the culture is saying, oh, we don't like that anymore. Um, and is it, it speaks of that deposit of faith. Yes. And guarding it. Yes. Which really is is the job of all of us but as bishop i promised yes to guard it with dedication that's the role of a shepherd of all the bishops starting with the bishop of rome pope francis and all the bishops of the world we have to be humble servants of the word of god and this deposit of faith too often people want us to to not live up to that to change that because, oh, it's too too judgmental or too harsh. Um, and we hear a lot, I mean, I see quoted a lot of times that where Christ does say, we should not judge each other. But woven into that is, we should absolutely judge ourselves. Ultimately, we are judged by God, but we need to judge our actions according to this deposit of faith according to what the, the Word of God says. For a while on this program, we were talking about the Ten Commandments. Right. We definitely need to judge for ourselves. No, we shouldn't judge others. But I have to judge my actions. We call it an examination of conscience. Amen. Am I living in accord with this deposit of faith, with the truth? And too often, when... I hear people quoting Christ accurately, but we always have to be careful. And this is one of the church, church's teachings yeah. is we 
see scripture as a whole, as once again, a whole person. Mm -hmm. And there's a real tendency in the Catholic Church and in other Christian communities, there's a real tendency to pull out verses and to focus only on that in isolation. We should never isolate one expression of Christ, the Word of God, in the Scriptures from another. Sometimes that's where we need the magisterium helping us to navigate, where Jesus says, repent of your sins, but he also says, judge not, lest ye be judged. So how does that, how do we bring that all together and live the ethic of the Word of God that is brought to us, the good news? Well, the magisterium is here to help us okay. sort through that. So the magisterium has a critical role in being a servant of the Word of God. But too often, as servants, I mean, you can look through history and look at our own time. Sure. There's a temptation for the magisterium, the servants of the Word of God, to begin to try to, to reshape that Word. And when we do that, if we reach the point of actually altering it, that's not what a servant of the Word of God does, and it becomes very dangerous. Well, you just confirmed what Bishop <clears throat> Robert Barron said on the radio not too long ago when he said, the church that's not precise is a corrupt church. And his point was we need to be really clear on what we teach and not ambiguous. And I, I'm just going to be honest with you, Bishop Strickland, that bishop's comment, Bishop Robert Barron's comment, really hit home for me because I think of not just some bishops, and but some of the things even coming out of Rome are ambiguous at best. And I'm saying the catechism says we need to have clarity on these issues, and that's what we're looking for. Now, we just have a couple minutes left, but paragraph 89 has a beautiful way of saying what you just said about dogma and spiritual life. He says, paragraph 89, there is an organic connection between our spiritual life and the dogmas. Dogmas, I love this analogy, are like lights along the path of faith. They illuminate it and make it secure. Conversely, if our life is upright, our intellect and heart will be open to welcome the light shed by the dogmas of the faith. Isn't that beautifully stated? I mean, wow. Yep. <laughs> it got me. And you know, Bishop, when I see something as clear as this, I, I know this sounds funny, but here you are reading from the Catechism of the Catholic Church and saying, this is what we believe. And I, I want to encourage our listeners, please open up your catechism on a daily basis with your Bible and read this because you're going to need this kind of stability in your faith because we're not getting a lot of stability in a lot of the local parishes. And I'm going to be honest, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying, even in Rome, I hear things that come out and I scratch my head as a layman and go, what? That, let's look at the catechism. And I want to reassure our listeners, don't be flustered by that. We've been there before. We've had the Arian heresy back in the fourth century where Bishop Strickland, I heard that there were two-thirds of the bishops were Arians. Now, I, that's what history teaches. So I'm just saying we've been there. But reassure yourself, everyone, that the Catechism of the Catholic Church, as St. John Paul II said at the beginning, is a sure norm for your faith. So always qualify things by opening up your catechism 
of the Catholic faith. Bishop Strickland, I won't go to another paragraph, but I want to leave you with the final thoughts and then a final blessing, please. I guess my final thought from our discussion today is always remember that deposit of faith, the truth mm -hmm. is good news. Amen. Once again, Jesus Christ is good news personified. Mm. He is incarnate good news. It's the news that we need as human beings to know who we are, to know how we can flourish in this world and be with God in eternity. So it's important. Yes, it's challenging. Oh, yeah. And we fail to live the, the every aspect of the Word of God because we're sinners. But it remains good news. And there's not we need good news in the world today. And we have it in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bishop Strickland, for all the time you've given us here at Virgin Most Powerful to proclaim the teachings of the church. If anyone doesn't have a catechism, I get this periodically. Someone will write and call me. I don't have one. Can you give me a catechism? The answer is yes. I'll even give you my cell phone on the on this on the air most I don't know if another radio host will do this because they're not as crazy as I am that's probably why 661-972-7872 I'll take your call give me your name and address and we'll shoot you a catechism I also want to just thank the people who are supporting us here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio I know like we get some people who say that we're just kind of an extreme group because we teach what the Catholic Church teaches and we don't deviate but I have to tell you I don't have a choice. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and he established a church, and he gave it the fullness of the truth in his church. And so I want to embrace that, and I would encourage you to embrace that. And how do you do that? By turning your life over to Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage someone who's not a Catholic, even a Catholic, go visit Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament on a daily basis, or at least a couple times a week, and just sit there in the presence of Christ. And I guarantee it, guarantee the peace we will find because it's Jesus Christ there under the appearance of bread and wine. And this is Lent. If you hadn't gone to confession yet in the last month, do yourself a favor. I mean, you don't, you're going to take a bath this week, aren't you? Well, take a spiritual bath by going to confession at least once a month. That's my recommendation. As Joe Sixpack, that's Harry Barber signing off with Bishop Strickland on the Bishop Strickland Hour. May God richly bless you and your family. God love you.